I have to say, first of all, I really have not been looking forward to this. But folks, there's some things that have to be said. In the last, what, five to six months, we've lost more freedom, and our liberty's been challenged in ways that I never imagined it would. And it's not going to get better, don't look like. We got to get this figured out, folks. We got to get it figured out for our sake, for our children's sake, for our grandchildren's sake. And there's a biblical answer, there's a scriptural answer. And I don't have any way to have a comprehensive study about all the different ways that we're going to be challenged. But I do want to look at one way. And I do want to submit to you today that rebellion is not the answer. It's a problem. So I want to say about that on a personal level, if what I present today does not sound like something that I have said to you in a private conversation recently, I want to apologize for that. Because I really hadn't looked at the Scripture I know what it says. I know what God thinks about rebellion. But till I stopped and stepped back and went through and worked through some of this stuff, I don't believe I was at the right place. And I don't know that I'm at the right place yet. Well, we need to recognize that what God thinks about the idea of rebellion. And I'm going to ask you today to prayerfully consider what I present. We're going to start here in Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse 2. The prophet says, Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house. And I know what we're hearing, people. And our country's turning into a rebellious house. And we've got we to gotta be careful. Notice what he says about this. You have eyes to see, but you see not. See what the rebellious streak does to us? The truth's right in front of us, but we can't see it when we have this rebellious heart. They have ears to hear and hear not. We hear the truth, but we don't listen. Time to quit, for they are a rebellious house. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time trying to convince you what God thinks about rebellion, because I think we all already know. But I am going to spend a little bit of time. I think our bigger challenge, it, it's not knowing what God thinks about it. Our bigger challenge is the application of it. So that's what I want to spend most of my time this morning talking about. But I do want to put some Scripture in front of you and remind us of what God thinks about it.
Well, it's a great idea, but the PowerPoint won't change. <laughs> Trusty paper, y'all. So I'm going to go, go to Jude now. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. If you want to get a Bible out and follow along, that would be great. So Jude has this to say. Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. It's a little hard for me to get past that one. You remember what the Bible says about holding a mirror up? Uh-oh. What do you see? Can we be honest? Yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. The devil himself, the very epitome of evil and wickedness. But said, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts and these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them! For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the earth of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So we're familiar with the rebellion of Korah, right? I'm not going to spend a lot of time in Numbers chapter 16. If you're not familiar with that, I would encourage you to go read that chapter. Korah decided to challenge Moses' authority. And I, and I want to make a point here that's going to come into play later in our study. Moses was the civil authority. And he was the religious authority. And Korah decided, well, you've taken too much on yourself. Here in verse 32, we have God's comment on the matter. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all of their goods. That's what God thought about Korah's rebellion. Now I want to take you back. Uh, this was in the book of Exodus. It wasn't wrong to challenge Moses. Or it wasn't wrong to say, Moses, you might could find a different way to do some things. What was wrong was the rebellion. Because in, in Exodus, I believe it was, I don't know, I'm going to say chapter 32, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, went to him and said, Moses, you can't keep doing what you're doing. It's going to kill you. And he put some proposals, some counsel, some advice on the table for Moses to do. 
It wasn't wrong to have a different idea or have a suggestion. But rebellion is always wrong. And that's what God thought about the rebellion. He put a stop to it. In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 1, we have this, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me. Where are we looking for the answer? Where are we looking for the answer to what's challenging us? There's all kinds of ideas out there, and I'm not saying they're all bad. But if they don't fit within the context of what Scripture is telling us and teaches us, they are bad. And we need to be looking to God for the answer. And we need to focus on Scripture for the answer. Because we believe we're thoroughly furnished, right? I hope we do. In Jeremiah 5, verse 23, But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. Rebellion is a heart condition, y'all. And it's easy to hide. You can be quietly rebellious. You can be very quietly rebellious. Or you can be loudly rebellious. We see both. But it doesn't matter when rebellion is in your heart. It's a poison. It's a sin. We've got to recognize it and get rid of it. And you read, read through Jeremiah or any of these Old Testament prophets. The children of Israel were rebellious. And it created all kinds of problems for them. Neither say they in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. God's going to bless us when we do the things He asks us to do. 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 15, this was when Saul had returned from the non-destruction of the Amalekites. He didn't do what God told him to do. And Samuel points out here what the problem was. He had this streak of rebellion. He didn't want to do what God said. He wanted to do what he thought sounded good. Well, we did what you said, Lord. Except he didn't. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as is, is as iniquity and idolatry. And of course, God rejected Saul from being king because of this decision and because of his rebellious heart. Okay, so that's all Old Testament stuff, right? So now I want to take you to Romans 13. And I'm going to submit to you that there's not a terrible lot of comment in the New Testament about rebellion. I believe the New Testament holds us to a higher standard. And that standard is resistance. 
Rebellion can be defined as outright action against authority. What the New Testament calls on us to do is not resist. Now y'all stay with me here because there is an appropriate time to resist. We're going to get to that. But when you have rebellion in your heart, you're not going to know where that is. You're not going to know when the appropriate time to resist is. You've got to get rid of the rebellious streak before you're going to recognize the right time to resist. So I want to go through these verses in Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Those in authority over us. You don't need me to tell you who that is. You already know. That's not the question. And I can be as artful as anybody about working my way around these things, but folks, we know who that is. Be subject to them. For there is no power... He's not talking about individuals. God did not put Donald Trump in the presidency of the United States. He authorized the power that Donald Trump exercises. That authority. And anybody else in a position of authority, that power came from God. And that's Paul's argument here. He's talking to the people at Rome. We understand the government they were living under, right? Probably the most wicked and vile group of people to ever lead. And he says be subject to them because their power comes from God. Whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power... I didn't say it. I'm just reading it to you. Resisteth the ordinance of God... And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Folks, it's not worth losing your soul over. It's just not. Now, I'm going to say some other things about what I believe Paul is trying to teach us here. Because he goes on to say here in verse 3 and 4, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Okay, so he's talking about man's law as it pertains to the enforcement or the validation of God's moral law. God's the one that says what's good and evil, right? 
He is. And so that's how you and I today know the difference in good and evil. God has legislated that. He tells us. He dictates what's good and evil. So is he saying that every law that man makes is good? That's not what he's saying. But he is saying, submit to authority. Because he goes on to say in verse 5 and 7, Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. Are we just going to do it because we don't want to make God mad? That's one good reason to submit. <laughs> but that's not the only reason, but also for conscience sake. Do it. Do it, people, because it's the right thing to do. And then he makes this argument. For this cause pay ye tribute also. Do we see what he did? Folks, you can't just say, well, paying taxes is evil, and I'm not going to do it. We don't have the authority to do that. His point is, paying taxes are neither good or evil. Do it. Submit. And we look at man's law and we try to put it in this good or evil category, and it don't always fit. I'm not going to stand up here and argue that paying taxes is good. It's an act of submission. It's good in that respect. Is what the government do with my taxes make any difference? I don't know. I'm not seeing that there. I remind you again where their taxes were going. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. And we can do this if we'll get rid of that rebellion. So we've got these recent rules, guidelines, laws, whatever you want to call them, about social distancing, about quarantine requirements, and the wearing of a face covering. And so I want to work through, I, I, mean, I've, I think I've got four of these, and I said these were common responses. These were my responses, okay? And, and I suspect some of you will find some commonality. And some of you may have some even better ones. I'll be glad to hear them. So here's my favorite. Oh, that's stupid. I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to. 
That is such a great argument. <laughs> it convinces everybody that already agrees with you. So my question is, is that what Romans 13, is that where it leads us to? Oh yeah, you can decide for yourself if it's dumb or not, and then submit. I've got another question for you guys, girls. When you tell your child to do something, and they say, well that's just dumb, I don't want to do that. Do we see it? They're unconstitutional. I'm not going to ch I'm not going to challenge the truthfulness of that statement. You may agree with it, you may not. My point is it don't make any difference. It's not a reason to rebel. I understand. I, I mean, I, I think that there's a group somewhere that have challenged the governor on the constitutionality of his face mask thing. Okay. Is that our job? Is it legal? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's legal. It's not a reason to rebel. This is a challenge, y'all. We've got some, probably some of the greatest founding documents in the world's history, right? Got the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence. I want to ask you something. Are those inspired? We know they're not. Are they perfect? I already said they're the best ones out there, but I, my question is not about that. My question is, are they perfect? And I want to illustrate that a couple of ways. I forgot the second one. The first way is that very Constitution that, that we think a whole lot of that protects our liberties also created the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court in the last 60 years has taken away more of our religious principles than any other part of government. And it continues to this day. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, they're the last, they're the ones that get to decide what the law is, what it means, how it applies. So my point is that 
Our system of government is not perfect. And to try to make that argument, I need you to bring me the Scripture. If you're going to use that to justify a rebellion, I need you to bring me the Scripture. I'm not saying that we can't take advantage of the liberties that our system of government gives us. I'm talking about rebellion. I guess this one is very similar. But there's a nuanced difference that, that I, I want to put in front of you. So we go to the Bill of Rights, and right there, the number one amendment, First Amendment, right? Am I getting my stuff confused? Anyway, the First Amendment to the Constitution, freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want to, right? Well, we know there's a limit to that. You can't go in a theater, crowded theater, and yell fire. That's been well established. But outside of that, I can say whatever I want to, right? What does God say about the subject? It's better to just be quiet sometimes. Is that a violation? Is God violating our First Amendment rights? No, He's not, because that's not where those rights came from. And here's my point, y'all. We got all of these rights, all of these liberties. They don't come from God. They came from man. And I don't like that, but the reality of that is that man gave them to me, and man can take them away. And that's what's happening. Man is taking them away. So... Is that a reason for a rebellion? Bring me the Scripture. I think, and and I'm going to say, I'm just going to say it, y'all, refusing to wear a mask is not going to win our country back. We see it that way in some sense, apparently, but that's not what's going to take our country back. I submit to you 1 Timothy 2 is the only way we're going to get it back. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, and we need to do that for all men, and particularly those in authority. And let's not forget this last part. I'll just tell you folks, if we're not careful, we give up our own quiet and peaceable life because we allow all of this stuff to get us so worked up that we're just giving our peace away. They're not taking it from us. We're giving it to them. 
And I see all the stuff that's happening, but I think we could still lead a quiet and peaceable life. Don't throw that away. The science doesn't support this. There are so many different ideas, it's hard to find the truth. And science, to a large degree, has just become completely political. And you take your position over here and you start finding science, and you start stacking the science up, and you think if you can get enough science put together, you can convince the other side based on my science, right? But then the other problem is the other side's over here stacking science up, doing the exact same thing. And folks, it's dividing us. It's dividing the church. And we need to quit. And I'm humbly pleading with you to stop. The science don't matter. It don't justify rebellion either. I don't care how right any of these statements are. None of them justify rebellion. I can't find it in the Scripture. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about all of that. But if I am, I need to see the Scripture. And here's my conclusion on all that. Rebellion is never a legitimate excuse to resist authority. Not ever. I'm not finding that in Scripture. We know what Jesus said here, Matthew 5, 39, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. What? What does he mean you don't resist evil? Well, he tells you what he means. <laughs> Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I just don't think I can do that. I hope I don't have to find out. But I will just tell you, when the governor came out whenever ten days or so ago and did his mask thing, I felt like he slapped me. And that took me right to that verse right there. You can say it's evil if you want to, but it really doesn't matter. Now, I know there's a there's a place that we see that we're headed to here that, that we can't go to. And so I'm just going to throw this out here too. So is Jesus saying I can't defend my life? Is He saying I can't defend my family? Is He saying that if somebody breaks into my house to rape my daughter, I can't stop them? He said if they slap you, 
What does slapping do? It stings a little. It hurts my pride. It makes me bow up and say, I don't have to take that. Don't take the argument to its extreme and say it justifies what I want to do now. And I've seen all of this stuff. It connects the wearing of a mask to the killing of the Jews. It's just a mask. It's just two weeks. It's just this. It's just that. Yada, yada, yada. Till you end up in Hitler's Germany killing the Jews. And that's not the way the Scripture leads us to think. We can take anything into its extreme and justify what we want to do. And my sermon is not about wearing a mask. It's about getting rid of the rebellion out of our heart. So when Jesus says to turn your other cheek, He's talking about not overreacting. He goes on in Matthew 5, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. He's teaching us how to react when we're mistreated. And we cannot do this, folks, when we've got that rebellious thing going on. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. In Acts chapter 1, this is after the death of Stephen. The Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Folks were fighting the wrong battle. I hate to see this country destroyed just like you do. But the end of the discussion is, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my servants would fight. And when there's legitimate things that we can do to help our country go in the right direction, I'm all for that. But at the end of the discussion, it's about the gospel. And the gospel is what's going to change our country. And when we get all focused on this other stuff, we're losing sight of the truth. And what really matters. And what's going to bring about the change that we say we want. You know, the Bible goes on to say here in the book of Acts that when, when these people were scattered because of the persecution, the gospel just exploded because they took the gospel with them everywhere they went. In Esther chapter 4 and verse 14, the Bible says, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then 
Shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place? But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? I would encourage you to go read the book of Esther. We're trying to figure out the time and place to resist. Go read the book of Esther. I think in a lot of ways it's a story of resistance. This is Esther's cousin, Mordecai, talking to her. And she was in a position to do something positive. And he said, you can hold your peace. She was the king's wife. And he said, you cannot say anything if that's your choice. And God will find another way to deliver His people. But how do we know? How do we know whether or not you're here because of this time like this? And here's my point, folks. She didn't lead a rebellion. That's not what happened. Read the next few verses here. The first thing they did was they went and prayed and fasted. And you know, I hope, know the end of the story, it all worked out. So these were just some of the examples I could think of in Scripture where there was resistance. Read the book of Esther. Then read the book of Daniel. Did Daniel lead a rebellion? Could have Daniel led a rebellion? I don't know. You could argue that he, he didn't have that opportunity. But he quietly did what he was supposed to do. That's what Daniel did. He wasn't rebellious. Even when he didn't do what the king's law, the, the word left me, but what the king told him to do, he just did it quietly. He wasn't loud and proud about it. John the Baptist, when it was time to stand up for the truth, what did he do? He told Herod that is, it is not lawful for you to marry that woman. Cost him his head. And we know Peter and John, they were preaching the gospel. They were told to stop preaching the gospel. What did they do? They just kept preaching the gospel. They couldn't... Everything the Jews tried to do, they couldn't stop the gospel. 
And finally, the Apostle Paul. And I want to take you to Acts 23. So, Paul has been brought before the council and he, he starts to make his defense. And in verse 1 there it says, Paul says, I have lived in all good conscience. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whitest, whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? You just want to stand up and cheer, don't you? Now be honest. And I have a question about Paul's statement. Was it the truth? Was it the truth? It absolutely was the truth. The guy was sitting in judgment, and he was a hypocrite because he told him to do something that was a violation of the very law he was a judge of. We see it all the time. We have people in Washington, D.C. passing laws that they turn around, they walk out, and in effect tell people, don't, don't obey it, just ignore it. But notice what happens next. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Uh-oh. And Paul says, Well, I, I, did, I didn't know he was the high priest. I didn't know. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. It didn't matter that what he said was true. We've got to be respectful of authority. And we've got this rebellious streak. It does not lead us where we need to be, people. So we talked about Rebellion being a problem, so I want to finish up, and I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, but there is a solution. There is a solution for the problem, and the solution is submission. And we're going to look at the submission of Jesus, because first of all, He submitted to God's authority. John 5 and verse 30, he said, I seek not mine own will. Now Jesus had a will. He had what he wanted. But it didn't matter because he wanted to do what God wanted. But is that where we're at? I hope it is. In Luke 22 and verse 42, we remember Jesus' prayer. He wanted to be delivered. He didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to suffer all of that. That's not what He wanted. But He submitted to the will of the Father, and you and I are blessed because of it. Jesus submitted to His parents' authority. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. 
We believe in that one, don't we? Most everybody that's not a, you know, not a child <laughs> thinks that children ought to obey their parents. Jesus did it. He submitted to their authority. He was subject to them. I wonder if they ever did anything dumb. Most parents do. Ladies, I'm sure it's apparent that, you know, it's pretty easy for the guys to get up here and talk to you about how important it is you submit to your husband, right? And the only reason that's important is because they've never done anything dumb. Or unconstitutional. That's not the point, is it? We're not always right. But God has given us this plan to bring order out of chaos. And guys, when we expect that of our children and our wives, then we reject it when it's our turn to submit. Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in all things. You're called to submit. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus submitted to the religious authority. Matthew 5 and 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. He was subject to the religious authority. He lived under the law of Moses. And he kept it perfectly. Right? Well, of course he did. He was subject to it. He submitted himself to that authority. Just like Hebrews 13 and 17 calls on us to submit to the religious authority today. Obviously, God is the ultimate religious authority. But in the congregation, when judgments have to be made, we need to have order. And if we can just decide that the elders are dumb and come up with this idiotic idea, and we don't have to submit to it, we're going to have chaos. And that's where this thing's leading us. And it's the devil, and he's in here stirring this thing constantly. He's not just out there. He's in here. And elders aren't always right. They ain't even always very smart. Doesn't matter. It's not a violation of God's law. We're supposed to submit. And we can have conversations about all of these things. But when we have that rebellious thing going on, we'll never come to the right place. Jesus submitted to the civil authority. He tells Pilate here in verse 25 of Luke 20, and he said, or no... He's not talking to Pilate. I'll get to that. This is where he said, when they come to him, said, okay, this coin has Caesar's image on it. What, are we supposed to pay tribute? Apparently, they didn't like paying taxes any more than I do. But he said, yeah. 
Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. John 19, 11, he tells Pilate, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. He recognized Pilate's civil authority. God had given it to him. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Can you imagine being put in Jesus' position? And all the time as he stepped through these different parts of the process that led him to the cross, he could have called 10,000 angels at any point. Could you resist that? He did, because it wasn't about what he wanted. It was about us. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey, to be ready to every good work. He submitted to his brethren. John 13, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. When pride and rebellion is the problem, submission is the solution. Then we have this in Philippians 2. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And I, I want to point something out to you folks, and I know you know this, but we get this backwards. We get it backwards. We read that verse and we see, well, you're supposed to do what I want you to. Right? You know what that says? No, what that says is, Look for ways to submit to the other person. And that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for ways to bind something on somebody else. And we need to quit. Last verse, 1 Peter 2, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Sounds very much like Romans 13, doesn't it? For this is the will of God. Notice, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Ever wish people would just stop? It's probably what you're wishing right now, right? For this is the will of God that by doing good, 
you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Folks, we have a tremendous opportunity. In all of this chaos, if we'll stay unified and we'll stay together, and we can stay away from this rebellious tendency that some of us have, we can have a tremendous impact in our community. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That's my study today. Thank you for your patience. I've been told from time to time that I seem angry, and I'm not angry at you. If I'm angry, it's, it's at myself and at the devil and at the temptation that the world is throwing on me. I don't like it. I want to go back to the old way. But we can't always change that, can we? So we've got to be able to look at Scripture and have a godly response to what the world brings. We want to offer the invitation. It's the Lord's invitation. It's always open. But this is a convenient time to give people an opportunity to respond. If you need to be baptized today, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. If you need us to pray with you and for you for a particular challenge that you've got, we want to give you the opportunity to make that desire known as well. Please come as we stand and sing.